Welcome to the Pathlight Ministries podcast. We're glad you've chosen to study God's Word with us. I'm Pastor Chip Anthony, and here's today's message. This morning we are continuing our discussion of twisted scripture, and I've got to tell you a story uh, about a friend of mine, a lady named Betty. She went on to be with the Lord a few years ago, um, and Betty was a very special lady, uh, to our family when we moved to Tennessee. She was just incredibly sweet, incredibly kind to us. One thing about Betty, she was um, she had progressed in years. She was, um, I think she was about 85 when we moved to uh, Clarksville, and her uh, mental abilities had been greatly diminished by the time that uh, we moved there. I had met her some years earlier, but um, she wasn't quite the same when we moved there. And one of the things, um, she, she got confused sometimes. One day... Um, I didn't, I didn't realize, here's the thing, I didn't realize that she got confused about things. And so one day, um, I, I, at the church, and she says, Chip, did you hear about what happened in Texas? And I said, I, no, I didn't, I didn't, what happened? And she said, you didn't hear about the terrorist threat in Texas? And I said, no, I didn't, no. And she said, yeah, there are terrorists that have planted a bomb, they planted a bomb in Dallas with anthrax, and there's this anthrax bomb in Dallas, and they wanted $100,000 and the release of these prisoners in, or terrorists in Iraq, or else they were, they're going to explode this bomb in Dallas. And I'm like, what? are you serious? He said, yes, I'm serious. The Dallas police were searching everywhere. They're searching all over the city trying to find this anthrax bomb. And I'm like, I didn't even know you could make an anthrax bomb. That sounds like the worst thing ever. Maybe an Ebola bomb would be worse, but I, that's just horrible. And, and I didn't under, I was like, this isn't making sense to me. And I'm like, I haven't heard anything about it. She said, well, they found the bomb. And I said, well, maybe you should lead with that, Betty, you know? Start with the founding of the bomb before you get me all worked up. I've got friends in Dallas. She said, yeah, they found the bomb. And I'm like, well, that's good. She said, yeah. They, what they eventually did was they called out the Texas Rangers. And these two Texas Rangers found the bomb. And I said, oh, Betty. Did one of them have a beard and his name was Walker? She said, how did you know? I said, no. That Walker, he's really good, Betty. He is really good. She, a few months later, she would tell me about a conspiracy involving a semi-truck full of uh, stolen cats. And that was, you know, but thankfully by that point I already realized that sometimes Betty's stories were a little bit confused. See, she thought she was watching the news, but she was really watching Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, it's important that we not get confused about what it is that we're reading, that we not get confused about what it is that we're watching. And it's especially important, not just, I mean, don't get me wrong, you don't want to be the person that confuses TNT for CNN, but it's very important that we don't do that same thing when we read the Bible. Because there's a real danger in that, that we don't recognize what it is exactly that we're reading. Because God's Word, it's not just a single book, but it's, it's 66 different books. And each one of them sort of has a different theme, has a different take. They're written in different styles. They're written across a couple thousand years. So each of them is going to tell the story, tell this big good story of God's plan for us and God's abiding love for us in a little bit different, a little bit unique of a way. And it's important for us that we understand 
what it is that we're reading. So this morning, I want us to look at 2 Timothy 2.15. And this is sort of, we're going to start here. It says, do your best. And this is Paul. He's writing to Timothy, who's a, a young pastor. And he's writing to Timothy, and this is his advice to him. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. And the reason that he is a worker who's approved and that he not be ashamed is because he rightly handles the word of truth. Now, some translations, they use the word rightly divides the word of truth. And handled or divides, they, they're both good terms, but neither of them really kind of capture the true essence of, of all that's being said here. Because the word that he, he uses here that is translated as handled or divide is a, a word called orthotom, orthotomeo. And it refers to people who would build roads. All right? It referred to building roads. It isn't just that you build the road well, right? We all like a road that's well constructed. But I tell you what, I'd, I would rather be on a really bumpy, ugly, gravelly road that gets me where I want to go than a beautiful, smooth road that gets me lost. And so what he's saying here is he's, you've got to be the sort of person that lays out good roads, that gets somebody from point A to point B in, in, a, in a good fashion. The term's also used to refer to uh, mining, to digging into the ground, that uh, you wanted to have a straight path in digging into the earth. So what he's saying is that you, you divide the word of truth, you understand what it is, you understand sort of the lay of the land, and based on what is there, you make a good path from A to B. And so if we're going to make a good path in understanding God's, the story of our redemption from the beginning to the end, if we're going to be able to get safely from the beginning to the end of God's word, we need to sort of understand the lay of the land. We need to understand what it is that the different books are. We need to understand sort of their literary genre or type. And so we're going to go over that uh, to this morning, and we're going to not spend a lot of time on any one um, you could spend an entire year uh, studying just these different types of literature and all of the things that they include, um, but I'm going to do my best to give you sort of the highlights. The first sort of uh, genre of the God's Word is the law, and this is probably the part, uh, sort of aspect of God's Word that people are most familiar with, because if you ask somebody about what the Bible says, you know, one of the first places they want to go is the Ten Commandments, which is a classic example of the law. And um, the law is, in fact, here's one, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, uh, verse 3. And the thing about the law is it's not just supposed to be um, what you can do, what you can't do, but it is the clear expression of God's will and character. God reveals him who he truly is through the law. He says, if you want to be like me, then have no other gods before me. Don't put anything before me if you're going to be like me. If you're going to be holy like I'm holy, you can't murder, you can't, you can't do all of these things. And a lot of places it's the things that you can't do, but a lot of places the law is the things that you should do. Practice mercy, practice charity, be kind, be loving. It tells you how to treat your children, how to treat your spouse, how to, how to do all of these things. If you're going to be like me, this is how you are like me. And so the first five books of the Bible are referred to as the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are, are the books of the law. Um, now, it goes on from there, and not only do we have law, but we have books of history. And their primary concern is telling the story of God's character through his relationship with his people. Right? You, um, probably no one here has done online dating, but a friend of mine um, has, 
I, I won't say his name. He's been he's tried online dating for the past couple of years, and he's like, you know, it's just such a, a different thing when you read about somebody on the computer screen, you know, because they, they tell you these things about themselves. And he's like, and, and they're true, you know. This person really does love dogs. They really do, you know, this, you know. There's, you know, they say all these things that they're adventurous or whatever. And like, you know, they, for instance, he he went on a, a, a date with a, a young lady who said on her profile, she said she loved dogs. And he's like, I love dogs too. And she really loved dogs. And she probably should have put, I really, really, really love dogs. In fact, I have about 15 of them in my apartment, right? She left that part out. And so there's a big difference in like seeing what someone writes about themselves, what we get in the law, versus seeing how someone lives. And so what the books of the history do, it's not just God saying, this is who I am. If you want to be like me, this is how you have to be. The books of the history say, this is what God is like in relationship to his people. Over here, he says, if you want to be like me, you have to be charitable. And in the history, he says, this is what charity looks like. You've got to be kind. This is what kindness looks like. You've got to be just. This is what justice looks like. So in the law, we have this description. And in, in the history, we have this story of how God relates to his people. And one of, one of my favorite stories in the history is 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this is just one verse. It says, In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And this is, is a great first chapter. First uh, Samuel chapter 1 is a beautiful sort of transition in the history of Israel because they've been sort of under the ruler and r- rulership and the guidance of the judges. And then starting with Samuel, Samuel's going to be the one who, who anoints a king. For Israel, and, and so this is sort of a, a nice turning point. It's a beautiful story of Hannah uh, wanting a son and, and being barren and not having one and praying to God and dedicating that her child will be for his service. And it's beautiful, but it's, it's, it's a history. But it tells of, even in just this one verse, you can see that it tells not only is God loving, but God is the sort of person who would love a woman who has no child and would give her a child. And so there, there we have a, a picture through history of who God is. Not only is it law and history, but there are also large sections of poetry and songs. And the poetry and songs are psalms. Um, you get so- poetry and, and lamentations and almost entirely poetry. Um, a, one of the beautiful psalms is Psalm 22. It says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. And now when we if you know if you were in a you know freshman English class and somebody said is this a poem I you know we'd probably want to say not really it doesn't doesn't really rhyme it doesn't seem to have the the right meter it's not what's that is that iambic iambic it is not an iambic pentameter right so it doesn't really fit sort of English versions of poetry but it is it is a poem in fact in I'll say this to you. Um, as you read through Scripture, um, most of the time in your Bible, if when you're reading something that the that the editors of the Bible have seen as a poem, instead of it going across a full line, it'll have sort of strange indentations. You know, whereas a normal line is this long, when it gets to a poem, the line may be centered and it'll be really short. And you'll be like, why is it like this? It's because it's a poem. And so throughout the Psalms, you don't see these big blocks of text. Instead, you see these little lines. And they don't always make sense when translated into English, but they're, they're poems, they're songs. And what they do is they express God's truth in artistic and memorable ways. 
Like, sort of like if I said your love is like radiant diamonds, right? And some, for some of you, it's already stuck, right? You, it's already stuck. The other day, Damien played a song. Uh, you, how, you probably just played that song 30 times the other day. It was, it, yeah, different. Man. He played this song a whole bunch, right? And for the next couple of days, I couldn't get it out of my head. And that's sort of what we get in Psalms. Sort of what we get in, in, in these books of poetry is that we get these messages about who God is, and they're done in a way that, that's artistic, especially for their time, that fits sort of the art forms that they were using, and, and they, they're sticky, right? They just they, they get stuck in your head. And they wanted to make God's word that way because they wanted people to, to be able to remember it, to be a part of, of their daily lives. In fact, as I... As I will sometimes try and quote things, I find I have a lot easier time um, quoting psalms and um, kids' praise. Do y'all remember kids' praise? Some of you do. Um, kids' praise was this uh, this children's program that they made, and it was it would sometimes take Bible verses and put them to music. You're with me, right? And so I, I've never forgotten First John four seven and eight, beloved. Let us love one another. Anyway, um, because you put it to a song and it's a lot easier. Um, and so that's what they did with, with poetry and song is they made, made God's word and God's truth artistic and memorable. Um, then there's also, there's books of, of wisdom. And wisdom is especially seen in Proverbs, uh, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. And here's one a really great proverb, Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Ooh, that sounds awful, have dried bones. Um, here's the thing about a proverb, is that a proverb is a, is a wise saying. And what you get in Proverbs is you, it's, it's God expressing what is it like to live life as a sinner among a bunch of sinners. Right? Like you want to you live a good life. You want to live in a way that pleases and honors me. You want to obey the law. Here is some advice. Here's some wisdom on how you can do that. Understanding that, that you and I are sinners and that we're living a bunch, among a bunch of sinners, this is a good way to live. Now, what Proverbs isn't is it's not a promise. It's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. Right? When, throughout Scripture, we get a lot of promises of God. But Proverbs aren't promises. They're, it's wisdom. It's, it's, it's a, a, good, a good thing. For instance, uh, uh, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Right? That's, 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 that's true most of the time. It's true most of the time. But the bird in your hand might be a crow, and the two birds in the bush might be turkeys. Right? In which case, those two birds in the bush are way better than that bird in your hand. Right? But generally speaking, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Generally speaking, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Generally speaking, that is true. It's not always true. It's not a promise. Because we have, we've all, I've, I've seen joy-filled and delightful teenagers die of cancer. And I have seen some miserable, crusty, mean, cantankerous people live to be 90. Right? And you'd say, man, their bones must be dry. They're so mean. Yet, they're, they're still going on. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. It's wisdom. It's a wise way. And it's, it's a good way to live. But it's not a guarantee. The, God, the next sort of uh, 
the vision of scripture we have is, is gospel. And the gospels are stories of the good news that God has remembered his promise. And if you ever look at a timeline of when scripture was written, there's about 400 years between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the gospel where there's no scripture, where there's no scripture being written. In fact, um, there are some books that were written by Jewish authors during that time period, and one of the things that they say is they say, the Spirit of God was not active during this time, which is really sad. But they say, they say you know, this is the history, this is kind of what's happening, but God's Spirit wasn't a moving, a moving among us as a people because we're still waiting for what was promised in, in the books of prophecy. And so the Gospels are saying, listen, we've received a promise, we've been given promises of God, and the Gospels is the story of God remembering his promise to us and God fulfilling that promise. And even in the Gospels, and this is, I think is wonderful, is that you get that there's stories about Jesus, but everyone's going to tell the story a little bit differently. Right? Everybody's going to tell the story a little bit differently. You know, Michael, Caleb, uh, Craig and I could be at a place and, and something might happen. And when we told the story, we would all tell it just a little bit differently. You probably have a friend who, um, that when they start telling a story, you're, you like kind of say, hey, could, could you give us the Reader's Digest version of this story? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it'd take an hour and a half to tell you that you, he met a girl on the internet and she has 15 dogs. I mean, like, uh, that, that took 30 seconds, dude. You know, shorten it. Give me the condensed version, right? But everybody sort of tells stories in a little bit different way. And so we get that with the Gospels. And Matthew, the, the, even just the first chapter in the birth of Jesus, we get wide variations. In Matthew, he starts with this very Jewish Hebrew genealogy of all these people who begat and who begat and who begat, who had, had a son and had a son and had a son. And then in Mark, you, it starts with John the Baptist making a prophecy about who Jesus is. He makes a prophecy about there is one coming, right? That there is, there is someone coming to Israel who has been the promised one. The Messiah is coming. In Luke, we get the a story of the birth. We get the story of the birth of John the Baptist and then the story of the birth of Jesus. And in John, he doesn't describe the birth at all. Instead, John starts by saying, you know, in the beginning was the word. And you're like, wait a minute. And I just read Matthew and it was so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And then Mark is the voice crying in the wilderness. And Luke is the birth of the one who would be the voice crying in the wilderness. And you're starting with in the beginning was the word. And it's just a very different way of starting and telling the story. But the thing they all have in common is they tell the story of God remembering his promise. They tell the story of God redeeming his people for his own glory. They all do that. And so that's what we have in the Gospels. The next division of Scripture is letters. We have a lot of letters. Paul wrote a bunch of of letters, and not just Paul. Peter wrote letters. Uh, Hebrews is in sort of a letter form. James is, is a is sort of a letter form. And we, letters, you know, they typically will start with some sort of introduction, explaining who's writing it, who they're writing it to, and then they get into sort of the nitty gritty of, of what's going on. Um, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever had to write a really hard letter. Um, sometimes, if you, you have to write somebody to tell them some bad news. Or maybe you have to write something, and maybe an email is probably more likely what happens today, but you send a message or an email telling somebody that, listen, I know what you're doing, and it's messed up, and you need to fix this. 
right? It's, it's difficult sometimes to do that, to transition from, hi, it's me. I know you probably saw in your inbox that I was writing you something and maybe you got excited for a second. Don't be excited. This isn't a good message, right? And so that's, that's what we get a lot of times in the letters. Paul will say, like, I pray for you. I love you. I'm you know, thinking of you, but you're not doing a good job, and here's why. And so we have a lot of the New Testament, especially has these letters where God, where God is communicating through Paul and through other authors um, questions and concerns of the church. But they're not just questions and concerns of the church for then. They're questions that we still have now. They're issues that we are still facing right now. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that uh, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, and he wrote 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. But 2 Corinthians isn't the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It was like the third letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth, which when I found that out, I was like, what? Why don't we call it 3 Corinthians? I don't know. But it, he wrote a second letter, but we don't have the second letter. And the reason that we don't have the second letter is it's not to us. Right? It's not to us. It was to them and only to them. But 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they're to us, not just them. And so we get that in letters, is that it's God communicating through his apostles messages that are good for them and good for us. The last division of scripture is, is prophecy. And, and we see prophecy throughout the end, the last part of the Old Testament. Um, when you get into all those books with all the funny names, you know, you see the, the Hezekiahs and Ezekiels, you, you get prophecy. Um, and a lot of times what we think of as prophecy is, and it will come to pass. You know, it, and this is going to happen, right? I don't know if you, if you ever pay attention to those um, magazines and newspapers by the checkout at Walmart. I, every once in a while, because I'm trying to corral my kids and tell them to hold still and stuff, uh, my, one of them will catch my eye, and then I'm just really, like, sucked into it, right? And I'll see one, like, Nostradamus predicts, and I'm like, what did Nostradamus predict? I want to know now, you know? But they'll, sometimes there'll be those things. Well, that's not really what prophecy is. It's not just predictions, right? It's, instead, it's, um, it's get with the program. A prophecy isn't just this is going to happen, it's this is going to happen unless. As we see that throughout Scripture. When Jonah goes and he, he delivers his message from God, he says, listen, you're wicked, you're horrible people, and unless you turn from your wickedness, unless you repent, God is going to destroy your city. And the people of Nineveh, they, they said, okay, and they turned, they repented. And God relented from destroying their city for a little while. But eventually they returned to their wickedness. And just as God promised that if they returned to their wickedness, they would be destroyed. And so they were. See, that's the thing about prophecy. It's, it's not just a message of destruction, but it's a message of how to escape that destruction. So it's, it's a message calling people back to loving God and to serving him faithfully. To escape the destruction. To escape the judgment. And so that's what we see throughout the Old Testament prophecy. And we see it in the book of Revelation. Uh, we see... That in the New Testament, we see this idea that, that God is going to come and he is going to judge. He's going to come and he's going to judge. And we have these, these sort of strange visions of things that are going to happen. You know, there's there, one of my, one that always, that always gets me, that, that sort of gets stuck in my head, is this idea that, uh, that in the throne room of God, there's an altar, sort of like this. And that underneath the table of the altar are the souls of the people who have been killed for their Christianity, that have been martyred. 
and that the people who are under there are crying out to God, Lord, when will you judge the wicked? And I think that just sticks with me because a lot of times we who are still alive, we cry out for God's judgment. We cry out, when are you going to judge the wicked? But they cry out for when God is going to judge the wicked because they've earned that. And we see this beautiful picture of them coming out from under the altar and being clothed in these white garments and being, being redeemed. So that's what we get in prophecy. Now, will it actually look exactly like I imagine it? Probably not. My imagination is just not that good. Right? It probably won't be exactly how I imagine it. It probably won't be exactly like Nick Cage acts it out in the new Left Behind movie. It probably, that, they probably haven't gotten it exactly right. And if they did, I'm going to be really disappointed. Right? If that's exactly what it all looks like, if some Hollywood producer managed to get it right, I'm like, wow, you know, I should have really imagined better. But it's probably not, because that's the sort of the thing about prophecy. It's, it's something that's going to happen at a future time. What's beautiful about prophecy that we speak, especially in the Old Testament, is that we see already 2,000 prophecies have come to pass. That there are 2,000 distinct different prophecies that are made in Scripture that have happened already. That we can look and we can say in history, this happened. God prophesied it and it happened. Now here's the one thing that we have to be careful about. Is that it's good to know what sort of book we're reading. So if you're reading Genesis, it's good to say, well this is a book of the law. But it's not just a book of the law. And this is where it gets really tricky. It's not just a book in the law, because if you look at Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1 isn't law. Genesis chapter 1 is a story, and it's a story that's told in a very particular fashion. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 is a poem. A lot of scholars can say that it's a poem, because what you have in Genesis chapter 1 is you have this repetition of a chorus, where it says, and there was evening, and the, or God saw what he had done, and it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then there's more, and then you get back to this chorus, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And then you hear some more, and then you get back to it. There's this constant chorus coming back again and again and again, until eventually that chorus is broken the last time, and, and God saw that man was alone, and it was not good. Whoa, and that changes things, right? So we see in Genesis 1, we see a poetic form. In Genesis chapter 2, we don't have law. In Genesis chapter 2, we have history. It tells us the history of how Adam and Eve kind of came together. The third thing we hear is about, uh, we hear about the gospel in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we have this story of how the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And right there, we're like, who's going to crush the serpent's head? We say, looking back, we're like, that's about Jesus. That's a story. That's about Jesus. He's not just saying that Eve's next son will crush the serpent's head. He's saying that Jesus will come. And that Jesus will destroy all of the serpent. He will destroy all of evil and wickedness's ways through his life. So even though it's a book of the law, we see these different aspects to it. In, in 1 Samuel, chapter 1 tells about Hannah receiving a child, but chapter 2 has a poem. has her singing a song to God of praise. There are a lot of poems in, in Psalms, but Psalms are also th- full, filled with history and wisdom and prophecy. In fact, Psalm 22, the Psalm that I read to you earlier, um, it begins by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that, sound, that should sound familiar to us. Right? Those are the very same words that Mark tells about Jesus saying on the cross. Je- Psalm chapter 22, it 
talks about how this one was mocked, how he was told to let the Lord save you. It tells about how his hands and feet were pierced and he was killed. It talks about how his clothes were taken and divided up among the people who were killing him. That's Psalm 22. It's, it's a poem, yes. but It's also a prophecy. It also is very prophetic about the way that Jesus would die. We see that Proverbs is filled with wisdom, but the Sermon on the Mount is full of wisdom. We see that the Gospels tell the story of the good news, but they also include prophecy. They also include poetry. They also include jokes, hyperbole. They, they include other things that we have to sort of understand and that we see in the letters that they're full of songs and summary gospels. And even in the book of the prophecy, in, in the book of Revelation, probably one of the biggest parts and the part that you probably hear preached about most is a section of letters to the churches, which has this perfect letter form at the very beginning. I say all this because um, I hope that you can know it. I hope that you can remember it. I hope that as you read your Bible that you'll say, now, what is it that I'm reading here? I loved Betty. I loved her. She was so sweet. In fact, uh, my daughters um, still sometimes sleep under a blanket that she made for them. She asked us, she was a character. She asked us, she said, what color are you going to do the baby's room in? And we said, well, red and black. I said, we're doing her, why? and you're probably thinking, why would you ever do a little girl's bedroom in red and black? I don't know. It seemed like a good idea at the time. We said, it'll be red and black. And she gave us a knitted blanket. It would probably cover that first pew or two. And there was no red or black anywhere on there. It was purple and green and pink and yellow and every color of the rainbow except for red and black. And I said, well, thank you, baby. She said, I know your colors were red and black, but I didn't really like those. So I made you one that I thought was pretty. Thank you, Betty. Um, she was a wonderful person, and, and we loved her, her very dearly. But... We don't, want, we don't want people in our world that we talk to about Scripture, that we talk to people about our faith. We don't want people to look at us like, like people looked at Betty towards the end of her life. We don't want people to just kind of pat our heads and say, oh, that's sweet. We want, we want to engage the world. We want to engage people in our, in, our, in our world and not have them, oh, pity us. We want them to, to respect us. We want them to, to understand that God's word, it isn't just, it isn't just some made-up story like about a Texas Ranger, but it's the truth of God. And it's important that, that if we're going to present it to them as the truth of God, we need to do our best to divide it rightly, to handle it rightly, to build a pathway for them that gets them from A to B as best as possible. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you will, as you read through God's word, that you'll take a little bit of time. And throughout the Bible, throughout most copies of the Bible that you see nowadays, at the very beginning of the book, there's this a little introduction that tells you a little bit about it. Take some time. Read about the book. Read about what, what particular book you're reading. Is it a book of prophecy? Is it a book of, you know, of poetry? And... And as you're reading it, remember that. Because a proverb isn't a promise, and it can really, really get us distracted if we think it is. We can really build some things 
build our faith on some things that aren't aren't promises. Um, a poem isn't always a prophecy, and a prophecy isn't necessarily something that's going to happen in the future. Most of them have already happened, and so it's important that we understand what it is we're reading based on where it is that we're reading. Thank you for listening to Pathlight. I hope that this message has been a blessing to you and that you will be a blessing to others.